I'm Zach. I'm Riff. I'm Jim. I'm Kevin. It's time for episode number 346 of Video Games Hot Dog, a podcast that we're doing from all over the damn place. How's it going, Jim? Over in glorious Southeast Bay Area, California. Oh, it's, you know, it's pretty good. Still got this kid. You haven't lost it yet? No, it's, uh, we've, we've been trying our damnedest, but, uh, <laughs> he figured, figured out how to buckle his seatbelt. He figures out where our house is. Have you tried taking it out to the middle of like a forest with just some breadcrumbs? Yeah, and like we did that, and then someone brought it, brought him back to us, just like, "Hey, you left this kid there." Oh and, man! And like, hmm. well, like you can't just say, "No, put it back." <laughs> <laughs> Babies like instinctively know how to swim, right? So even if you like dropped him in the ocean, he would just come home. <laughs> right? It's weird. Yeah, you, you know, we're, we're we're figuring it out. We we have a routine now. Um, where I'm actually able to get work done, like the, um, strapping him to my chest worked really well. Uh, so I can actually from like 10 PM to 3 AM, you said, <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I said, but you know, it actually works more the hours than that. Um, Oh, okay. Uh, anytime he's asleep, I can just like tie him down and, uh, and have some hands free to get work done. It's really, um, it feels like a luxury, honestly. Plus, you can go to the bank with a baby strapped to your chest and say, give me all the money in the vault or this baby is going to explode. <laughs> I bet it would work. Riotous laughter. Yeah? Because he's so cute, they would just want you to have all of the money in the vault just to post more selfies of him. <laughs> because that's expensive. He's at the age where um, he'll occasionally smile, but the smile just means he has gas. Mm. Uh, is see? that real? Why does get like it, it's like no matter how stupid you are, you still think farts are funny? Exactly. That's just that just that's They're wired elemental. into your dick. Yeah. You know. Have um. I mean, have, I you bought a phone for him yet? A phone? No. Yeah. Does he have his own phone yet? No, no. Okay. Um, we were honestly like I've been trying to convince April just to get rid of our phones, just because like I don't want this kid to grow up wanting uh, a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Um, but and the biggest that's gonna that's kind of weird though. You're gonna have to homeschool him and not let him see anyone ever. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, I'm considering it. Smartphones are pretty cool. What if you homeschooled him and convinced him that it was like the 1700s? <laughs> I, like the only, April wore like a bonnet all the time. The only movie I could show him is M Night Shyamalan's The Village. That's true. <laughs> well, you could show him any movie made before 1800. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you could freak him out with that one about the train. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He'd be real scared. He'd be like, what is that? It's a giant elk. Or the guns firing at the screen. Yeah. yeah. Mm. A giant elk with a gun. How have you been, Riff? I've been all right. How are you? Oh, that's probably what I meant. Have you done anything our listeners might like to hear about? <laughs> you know, I I had I was originally going to give you a choice between two different topics, but I've forgotten what one of the topics was. So instead, you get to hear about so how I've started topic? I've started watching a uh, snooker on YouTube at night to, when I go to bed. So that's kind of I'm interested. Uh, snooker is a kind of billiards yeah it's it's, it's a uh, hard game it's it's, uh... it's it's like billiards it's it's i guess what they play as instead of like 
eight ball or nine ball. It's the one that's popular in England, but it's much more complicated. Does it have pockets? Yes. It, the way it works is how does the game work? It, it's uh, it's played on a on a great big table, like a ten foot by five foot table, um, and there's um, fifteen red balls down at the opposite end of the table from where from where you're breaking from, and there's is it six? I think six uh, colored balls that have like specific spots that they rest on on the table and and those are the higher point balls and the the way it works is on your turn you alternate between having to uh to to hit have have a red ball be the first ball you hit and attempt to pocket only a red ball and if you succeed at that then you have to pick a specific colored ball and hit that ball first and only pocket that ball. So you d- you don't have to you don't have to declare a specific pocket, but you do have to declare a specific ball. Does this game differentiate between red balls and colored balls are these opposites? Yes, the 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 red balls are not considered colors in this. Game. Okay. Um and when you when you knock in a colored ball, it is returned to its initial starting point. So so the all the colored balls are always on the table. And you alternate between... Do the red balls stay gone? The red balls stay gone. And you, you alternate pocketing a red and po- pocketing colors until all the reds are gone, at which point the colors stop being returned to the table. And then you just have to, sh- you have to then sync them in their specific point value order. Because it's, they're like, they're worth like two points to seven points, I think. Are the red balls worth points at all? The, the red balls are worth one point. And so like the, the, Uh, the, the the theoretical maximum, uh, number of points that you could score in, in one, like, one turn at the table would be 147, I guess, which is like sinking a red ball and then the black and then a red and then the black again and just doing that until all the red balls are gone and then sinking yellow, green, two, brown, two, blue, pink, black, I think is the order. And it, it's interesting because... Like it, karate belts. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's interesting because there's it's it's uh it seems I mean I'm not I'm not I don't I've never watched like professional eight ball or nine ball but it seems like they are very tactical and like it it's it's it seems like a more thinky game because like often there'll be like the the guys the the professional snooker players I've been watching don't seem to take any risky shots at all like if it seems like there's a fair chance that they would miss pocketing a ball then they will only go for like nudging whatever color they need to hit and then and put the cue ball somewhere where it's incredibly inconvenient for the next guy to play um fucking lawyer pool yeah it's <laughs> Uh, do you always start your turn shooting at a red ball, or if yes, you, you always you always uh, you always start on a red ball, yeah. And so the the it's it's full of like uh, just like this huge focus on controlling where the cue ball is going to end up, 
and like putting it behind where the colored balls are so that the other, so that the next guy can't easily target a red is like the main move in the game. It's kind of interesting. I think I saw a video of a guy doing like a perfect run once. Has that ever happened? Uh, yeah, I've seen that a couple, of, well, once or twice, maybe a couple of times just from like having to cl- having clicked specifically a video is like, oh, hey, this is Ronnie O'Sullivan doing the 147 he got at such and such tournament or whatever. But I think that was who I, who it was. I yeah. feel like that's a familiar sounding name. He, he, so are you watching guy, like snooker yeah. games from the 90s? No, he's still playing, actually. He, he, uh, so he, when you watch them, are you watching like now snooker? I'm I'm watching like not live, but there are YouTube videos that's like the entire two hour game of you know X guy playing Y guy at such and such finals. But was it like last week or two years ago? Is what I'm uh, just all over. What whatever when I when I search snooker, I I pick whatever the next one is that I haven't seen, and sometimes they're from sometimes they're from this year, and sometimes they're from. Four or five years ago. You ever watch Snooker from like the 30s? That would be interesting if such a YouTube video exists. <laughs> I think that sounds kind of doubtful, though. What's the oldest YouTube video? Oh, that's an interesting question. Mm. Gangnam style. <laughs> like, what is the first video uploaded to YouTube or the video? I feel like that's a, there's that a is... dumb actual answer to that question. I bet that I remember. I bet there are YouTube channels that like digitize really old flip books. Huh. 10 years ago, but, like, uh, the, do you think the, that counts the as first ever old... video posted to YouTube is called meet me at the zoo. It's 18 seconds of a one of the co-founders of YouTube at the San Diego Zoo standing in front of some elephants. Huh. Are they playing snooker? I bet there are older movies than that. No, I think that's the first that's the first movie. That's the first movie that was ever made. That was wow. before the train was there one, a train actually. train coming out of the Yeah. out of the elephant exhibit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that nothing was ever recorded before that. Yep. As soon as that video was posted, all of our home movies from our childhood evaporated. <laughs> no, they were just displaced in time. <laughs> oh, they became newer. What if someone? What about like a channel that made like motion comic style like whip pans across uh, illuminated manuscripts? Would that Ooh. count as like a a really old movie? Huh. I I don't think so. Yeah, if you no. like, let's say. Let's say that Spider-Man picks up a rock uh-huh. that's been there since the Paleozoic era. That doesn't make that... Because it's a picture of an old thing. It does uh-huh. not mean the movie is old. Right? Okay, all right. I'm just spitballing here. I like your idea of, like, so a thousand-year-old flipbook. If you made a movie of a thousand-year-old flipbook, would you say that you've made a thousand-year-old movie? I would. I would argue maybe that the original creator of the flipbook did. Ooh. And then all I did was I scanned it. Oh, that's right. You've just format shifted it. You just did a re- you did like a remaster. Yeah. Yeah, as he was as he was drawing each frame, he was like, "I'm going to make a thousand-year-old movie." And then a thousand years later, it was true. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> you should tell him. Did they have flipbooks a thousand years ago? Are there flipbooks oh, on the yeah. yeah, on the on the edges of of illuminated manuscripts. I just recently oh. learned about the 
<clears throat> that thing where like if you bend the pages just a little bit there'll be like paintings on every book it's crazy (laughs) if the book wasn't created with one of those one pops into being to fill the space and a lot of them have ominous messages for you did you say it pops into beingsville (laughs) yeah that's what i call the the prime material plane um i since the last time we uh did a show went to wasteland weekend Oh, right. An oh, event. Yeah. One of the reasons that our schedule is so. Yeah, it, it was in the desert outside of Barstow, which is exactly where you would set something if you were making it up. Uh, but it's kind of like the Renaissance Festival, except that instead of everybody dressing like uh, K- King Richard, they dress like uh, Immortan Joe from Mad Max. But they still say huzzah. They st- there was a guy that yelled huzzah, and it made me very upset. <laughs> I didn't realize quite how much Renfair crossover there was going to be. Several of the bands were like eight-piece Irish folk ensembles that had just put some rusty spikes on their doublets and <laughs> were changed their lyrics slightly to be about the wasteland. Um, that That is not to say that there was not a lot of like legit-ass Mad Max and Fallout cosplay going on and a lot of awesome cars. It seems like about a third Renaissance Fair people... About a third, like, bearded fat dudes from Bakersfield who, like, ride ATVs on the weekends, except when they're making, like, a giant spine-covered Volkswagen Beetle that's all rusted out with, like, flamethrowers pointed in every direction. It's pretty fucking cool on the cars and stuff side. Um, There's a bottle cap economy. There's an area of the camp that's like sort of set up like Fallout and like, but whenever anybody wearing a vault jumpsuit is walking around, all of the Mad Max people yell at them to go back to the vault, vault dweller, <laughs> which was kind of fun, I guess. Um, but that's, that honestly would be, wouldn't that be what they would say in Fallout? <laughs> I get, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Realistic. The, I, so I went with, oh God, that here's, here, uh, here's my two favorite things that happened. One is that, uh, Doug Mackey, uh, Sophie's dad, who is an old Australian man, was helping me do something, and he had a knife that wasn't big enough, and I had to hand him my larger knife to to perform the task that he was trying to perform, and that was pretty good. Oh, man, you, you don't get an opportunity like that very often. You really don't. And then later on, uh, I was also standing right next to him while I was holding one small can of brake fluid and one large can of brake fluid, and so I got to make the same joke again, kind of. Uh, but also, a thing that happened was that the fucking brakes on my truck went out, and we had to get somebody... To somebody who was there with some crazy wasteland truck that they had made to like help me jerry rig the brake system of my truck so that I could get home on. I had to like cut a rear brake line and plug it up with a screw and wrap it up with bailing wire so that the fluid would stay in the system and the front brakes would work so that I could get home on the front brakes. So how did you find out? That was pretty fun. How did you find out the brakes weren't working? Uh, it. The one of the rear brake cylinders blew out and was leaking fluid, and so it like the brakes just got slowly worse and worse and worse. Like it was not, it didn't like lose all of the fluid. And by worse, it just means it required more pressure. Required, yeah. You just had to push the brakes down further because there was less pressure in the system. Like there was nothing catastrophic. Like it was like yeah, that's way less. It's way less exciting that I was hoping for. (laughs) It was in an environment where it was 
trivial to drive very slowly. Um, and it, it happened pretty gradually, but, uh, but yeah, it was neat. You know, you just kind of, you camp and then at night when it's not too hot to, I made the classic, uh, first year wasteland mistake, according to Claire Hummel, who has been doing this for a long time, which is I spent all of my costume energy on like a single set piece that was way too hot to wear during the day. Oh, uh, yeah. And, uh, because it's just the fucking desert. So it was like very unpleasantly hot in the day and then real cold at night. So I like didn't have enough blankets or enough, uh, I, I had too many blankets and not enough blankets both. Uh, but it's very good. Kevin didn't go because he'd been sick, but you're going next year, buddy. Okay. We're going to build a fucking scavenger hunt for people. And a trebuchet. I'm not, mm -hmm. I'm not sure how to segue into this, but I wanted to mention reading like, 10 years ago, I had read that the classic Burning Man, first time Burning Man mistake is to bring your significant other uh, beca <laughs> because there's a, a, a huge chance of that the two of you will break up at Burning Man. Hmm. And I didn't actually pry into why. It just seemed like a mystery that I thought would be more fun to let lie. Like, what? why do people break up at Burning Man? I could make a bunch of guesses and that's fun. Or I could just... Uh, you know, just let it lie. Yeah, I don't know. I, this is the closest thing to Burning Man that I've ever been to, and this was way closer to a Renaissance festival than it was to a Burning Man, so. Because uh -huh. it's real. Like, even though you're, like, a giant beef lord wearing a stainless steel codpiece and huge metal spikes and bondage gear, you have to be such a fucking dork to go to this thing. <laughs> so there's, like, nothing there to actually be afraid of. Yep. You know? It's... It's real good. Just gotta make a, gotta make a better costume for the daylight. God, there is a fucking Thunderdome, like, just legit Thunderdome that you watch by climbing up the outside of it, and they have people fight with, like, you know, SCA foam swords, but they're attached to these <laughs> bungee cord things. They don't, it, it turns out that's not a very practical, uh, mode of combat. So it's mostly, <laughs> there's teams of people that pull them back. And then launch them at each other, and then they just sort of like <laughs> grapple with their legs while they beat the shit out of each other with sticks with their <laughs> arms. And it's but the like announcers are really good, and it's so good to just be clinging to the outside of a dome, just like drinking and throwing stuff into the. I mean, people weren't really throwing, so people were, like dropping their phones and stuff. So that was pretty good. <laughs> but it was just very, very good. So that was my that was my journey. We uh we also went to the roguelike celebrations oh, last yeah. weekend. That's true. I've missed uh, three of those now. <laughs> good. Uh, well, this one was was uh was also good, just like the other two that you have missed. Aww. Um, you should come to the fourth one and do a talk about text world and the influence oh, yeah. of the oh. influence, like because. Just other games in character mode graphics are a thing that no one has talked about at all, and I think that it would be a really interesting thing to see some stuff about. Agreed. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll think about if I can if I'm actually speaking at it, I can probably justify going. Noah would totally let you speak at it. I, I just I just keep hoping that like it's gonna get bad, so I can stop feeling about not bad about not going. No, it was. It, was it has only really gotten better run over time. Like, I mean, it was great. Noah always does a good job with it, but this year it's just seemed like it seems like at this point they've kind of got it down. Yeah, you know, it's, Damn it's it. it like especially. I know, I know. You wanted to be like Indiecade, where they just get worse at it every year until you can finally <laughs> right. stop going. 
but this is actually no, like they're paying attention and learning things. And it was at the GitHub office, yeah. so there were constantly jokes about how everything was being provided by Microsoft because apparently Microsoft just bought GitHub, and I forgot yep. about that. Right? Yeah. Also, Microsoft is in the middle of buying Obsidian. Is what's that's what I've uh, going heard. around today? I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Why would anybody make up something so boring? <laughs> 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 to influence stock prices. Oh, I see. Stocks are also boring. Uh, yeah. What was your What was the highlight of roguelike celebration for you? Um, I think the talk that I liked the most was just sort of seeing uh, Colin talk about his roguelike puzzle game that he made for the MIT Mystery Hunt. Yeah, talking about good. the Mystery Hunt and its history and stuff like that. Um, I think that. I liked uh, Jonathan Lassard, uh, who made uh, Chogue, the chess roguelike. Oh, that was with, really good. Uh, with Pippin Bar. Yeah, he just did a talk about it. And it was, it was kind of a dry talk, sort of. Kind of. But it, it was, was like, funny. it was just a talk about, here are the decisions that we made making this game. And it's like, all right, well, for everything, we have to decide whether we're going to do it the rogue way or the chess way. It's kind of and like then, a spreadsheet. It was like- yeah. <laughs> And then they're like, okay, well, now what if we made a different version of this where we made different decisions for all of these axes? And so they're working on, like, a sequel to it that is... Uh, Cherry Chogue. Ch- Cherry Chogue. Which... I don't think that's ch- a very good name. Chogue and Coke? Is that supposed yeah, to be? Yeah, I think like, Coke, I don't, That's not a good cognate. Yeah, Chogue is supposed to be Coke. What else? There was a uh, Jim Jim Shepard who's uh, made the game Dungeon Mans, who is a... He's a good dude and a mutual friend of friend of the show, David Bass. <laughs> Which is how he's relevant here. Uh, he did another good talk on writing. His he is good at giving talks. Like there, some of the talks at the Roguelike Celebration are like very technical programming talks that are kind of yeah. over my head and also not at all relevant to anything that I ever would do. Uh, you know, much Entity less am systems. doing now. Yeah, there, were, there was there one talk about how you shouldn't use entity component systems, and then one talk about how you should use entity component systems. So that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that was actually um, that, that that kind of made it worth it. Uh, yeah, because it was like they were made it worth sitting through two talks rumbling. about entity component systems. Yeah. Hey, Jim, do you know what entity component systems are? Um, I think it's the thing that Unity wants me to use, but that I'm not using. Good. Well, you would like one of these talks or one of these talks would like you. Um, yeah, the guy who made Bro, I'll check it out on YouTube. Uh, the guy who made Brogue gave a talk about his uh, level generation stuff, which was really interesting. Yeah. Although, uh, I maintain that every Brogue level looks like completely homogenous noise. It, really? the, the level of detail in that game is too fine for ASCII mode graphics, and I, it, it's unparsable to me it might also be because they use a lot of really subtle color variations that will be a theme of today's show i think (laughs) um but yeah i've never been able to get it people tell me that brogue is great and that based on other stuff that i like that i would like it and like hearing this guy describe the he he the stuff that he does with his level generation is like way beyond me technically in terms of my ability to even like conceive of how you would do it. There's stuff like, well, first you make some rooms and then you make some other rooms, then you make some other rooms. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. But then you figure out like what parts of the dungeon would be appropriate for this set piece thing with a bunch of interconnected machine parts and then build one of those there and like edit the rooms to make room for the 
stuff that's happening in there. Like, oh, we've decided that this part of the map would make a good goblin warren, so let's replace all these rooms with much smaller, more interconnected rooms and fill them with goblins. It's like, wow, okay. I guess you just had to remember where those rooms were. Probably, yeah, I guess it just it doesn't ever discard information. Yeah. Um, it was very good. It was yeah, it was cool. I also didn't quite understand all the algorithms, but it's neat. It's neat seeing people's process. So if you can come to the roguelike celebration. Oh, also, uh, Noah's going to do one in Europe. Oh wow! <laughs> he uh, pro- he promised uh, that someone that he would do that uh, at a point when he was very very drunk, yeah. uh, and then was reminded later that he had said it. So now he actually has to do it, <laughs> or he didn't say it. And some Ooh, and Thomas B- Thomas Biscop, that wily Thomas Biscop, yep. creator of Adom, ancient domains of mystery, um, who I think sponsored a lot of this. Before we move on from uh, roguelike celebration, I just want to—I know the answer to this, but I know some listeners are going are dying to know—is Dungeon Man related to Thy Dungeon Man? No, it's Dungeon Man's. Okay, <laughs> I misheard. Well, should we talk about video games and the video gamers who play them? Sure. Such as ourselves? Sure. Well, we might as well. Can't think of a reason not to. I, I have spent almost all of my discretionary gaming time in the last two weeks getting, like, way fucking back into Spelunky. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's I, a so very good game. We, we have... We've gotten our, our co-working space off the ground, and so now I share an office with Nick Sutner, and we have decided that we're going to play one co-op game every day. Oh, have you? and you've been doing it? Yeah, and it takes a long time. Play if on the same machine? Yeah, same I, pl- I play with the keyboard, and he uses the he uses an Xbox controller on it. Okay. And it you have to go really slow to not like just constantly be killing each other. You're like occasionally killing each other because like we both we both have like hundreds of hours of Spelunky experience, right? Yeah, all my experiences playing all my experiences playing Spelunky co-op involved killing each other so many times. So maybe we should have tried going slowly. Question: um, Who? What person does the camera follow? One of you. Whichever uh, one's closest to the exit, or whichever a, no, it's whichever one of you hits the start. Yeah, you're, there's a guy carrying a flag. One of the guys is carrying a flag, and the camera follows that. And if that guy dies, it becomes the other player. Okay. Uh, and you're a ghost, and you can have like an effect on the environment, like a pretty significant. I didn't realize how significant an effect the ghost can have on the environment. What, what can you can do? like you can blow on stuff, and it will do things like stun a shopkeeper and make him drop his shotgun. Whoa! So like. It will stun a scorpion, but not nearly as long as a scorpion is normally stunned, we learned. We also learned that if you have the, if you die in between getting the head jet and then taking the staff of Ra to the door to the city of gold, it fucking won't open. You don't count as having gotten the head jet if you die after getting it, which was a real bummer. That was like the closest we got to, because like we're trying to actually do hell runs on every co-op game. Like we've made it to, I think we've made it to the temple once. Maybe it is so hard to play co-op because especially you have all the muscle memory of having played and just like indiscriminately firing shotguns left and right. And it's like, oh, right. like, and so if like what, times when you both have a shotgun, it's like, well, which one of us is going to kill the other first? It's almost always me or just like not thinking, like pick up all the bombs. Like, ah, fuck. Now I have 40 bombs and you have zero bombs. Like it's all of your, all of what you want to do from playing a lot of Spelunky by yourself just doesn't. It seems like it. What you you 
would be more powerful as a team if you were synchronized. Yeah, and you just have to get that way, I think. And I mean, it's I you know I think we will. I think like we will eventually beat the game this way because we are getting used to each other's play style and communicating and being careful and. So today we fucked around at the end of every single level. Whenever we would kill the shopkeeper at the end of a level, we would not leave, even if we were fleeing the ghost to do this until Nick had picked up the shopkeeper's shotgun and I had picked up Nick's old shotgun <laughs> to then go through the door just so that we never entered a level with the same shotgun that we left it with. Why is that? It was funny. Okay. <laughs> just like... It would be more fun if we robbed this store, even though there's not even anything in there that we want, right? So just like we might as well get it out of the way because eventually we're going to have to start dealing with shopkeepers. So okay. I don't know. It's pretty good because there's not, you know, there's not a lot of stakes, right? Like you're, you're playing once and like, especially it's like, ah, well, we fucked up and like we just didn't find the black market on today's run. So it's like, ah, well, all right, anything goes now, whatever. Uh, oh, uh, there's a new... Uh, Philip Stolenmeyer game on the phone called Bacon. Uh, and it is, <laughs> it works a lot like pancake or burger, except you are flipping a, like a floppy piece of bacon comes into frame held by a hand and it's swinging back and forth. And so the moment that you drop it also has an effect on its trajectory down into your pan. And then you're using the pan to flip it onto or into various objects. And there's like 50 levels. And it was like, put bacon on this hamburger. And then like, put bacon on the Statue of Liberty. Uh, put bacon in this bottle of milk. Um, and it's just having to get the bacon into various things. Uh, then I accidentally, uh, in trying to flip the pan, clicked an ad. And then the ad was for a game that looked pretty fun, so I downloaded it, and advertising worked on me, and I am now a part of the problem. But that game is called Wordscapes. That's what we should have called Word Realms. Because Word Realms didn't have realms in it, but it had scapes. Like, during the cutscenes, you see some scapes. There's landscapes. Yeah, yeah. There's... They're scapes. Escapes. So the way that wordscapes works is it's like text twist in that you get a limited set of letters and you're just trying to make words out of those letters. But there is also a, a crossword grid that you're filling in where you don't have clues. It's like a fill in, not a crossword. Um, so that helps you if you don't want to just figure out all the words that you can make out of these five letters. You can get a clue by looking at the grid. There is also a mode where there, there is a grid and there are some letters the same, but there is like a butterfly that flits around the grid and by typing the word that the butterfly is on oh, in the word. grid, so you don't necessarily know, you know, like there could be some ambiguity, but that makes it way more interesting. Your only reward is you're, you're progressing through these different like fucking like free stock photos, like nature photos as backgrounds. Um, and your reward for doing the butterfly game is unlocking pictures of animals, which I don't want, but I want to I want a high score. I want a high score more than I want to use that high score to unlock a picture of a wolf. Although the first picture is of a raven, which you would probably like, Riff. Yeah, that's true. All the other... It seems like it should just be pictures of butterflies, though. Well, yeah. Well, things that eat butterflies, like wolves. Yeah, like wolves and ravens. <laughs> and babies. 
you can i'm thinking of all the words you can make out of wolf you can make an owl yeah you can make flow yeah you could make yeah. low you can make foul yeah good a loaf um, <laughs> what l-o-w-f <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh-huh Ulf. that's alf's brother <laughs> WLFO, which I'm sure is some sort of radio station somewhere. It's true. Um, <clears throat> it's just it's Willem Dafoe's uh, Willem vanity Dafoe. plate. <laughs> it was the only one he could get. Um, Soggy waffle. I think that's it. Maybe I, that doesn't seem like enough video games. You didn't play more Spider Man's. I played a little bit more Spider Man's. It's I don't have much more to say about it. What, what have you been playing, Jim? I played a little bit of Spider-Man's. Uh, yeah. What do you think of it? it? It seems pretty good. It seems like uh, it's it seems like a modernization of uh, Spider-Man Two for the PlayStation Two, which is about all I want out of a Spider-Man game. Um, I uh, I don't know. I, I've I've only done the first like the introductory mission where you take down like Dr. Lutefisk or something like that. Um, and, uh, I remember, um, loading this game up and there's a, a, a mildly entertaining cutscene where you like, that starts off by panning across uh, a messy teenager's bedroom, uh, which is the thing they tell you to never do to, to start a screenplay in screenwriting class. Um, and, so you uh, never to do that? Yeah, that's, that's that's like explicitly called out as like this is what everybody's first screenplay looks like, and don't do that. Um, but what if you have to rescue the cat in the messy room? Well, maybe if it goes somewhere. But I suspect like whoever reads screenplays in the screenplay slush pile will just be like, oh, one of these again, and throw it away. Did you take a screenwriting class? Uh, I, I remember this is something I read about. I don't know, probably in my teens. Uh, I didn't actually take a class. Um, and then you like go take off uh, and start swinging around the city. And then there, you get a couple of phone calls from people. And there, it sets the stage for like having to um, having to wrangle both your real life and your superhero life at, like at the same time, which is a cool idea that I'm hoping pays off. Um, but you spend a lot of time. Uh, just swinging around. And I thought that was a really strong idea to like, really like to put a lot of emphasis on this is the good part of this game is the, the getting around by shooting out webs and attaching to buildings and then swinging like the, the, the kinesthetics of actually moving around the city feel really good. And that is like the reason to play the game. Um, and so I thought that was a smart move to like just to front load that a bunch. Uh, but then like I started the, the mission itself and you spend like five times as long as that in the combat engine, which is, I thought really dull. Um, but I've heard it's very hard, even on the easiest setting. It's surprisingly, I put, I put it on the easiest <laughs> setting and it is, it was surprisingly hard. Um, it not like, not unmanageably hard, but also I've been fucking playing video games for 30 years. So, like, take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, the first, the tutorial boss fight, even on easy, took me, like, 10 tries. 
Right. I've heard, I've heard a lot of people who have not spent as much time playing video games who've tried to get into it, and even on easy mode, they were just shut down by the fights and getting really sort of depressed about it. Yeah, I'm surprised at it with a game this polished that they wouldn't have a an actually easy easy mode. Apparently, they patched a. Um, I was also <laughs> I was also playing Prey, and they patched a bunch of stuff into that, including a. A new difficulty setting under easy called story, which is nice. Hmm. But I like most of my game playing time in the past few weeks is spent like just on a a, a replay of Prey, which is hmm. still incredible. Um, I still need to get around to playing that. It's it's real good. It's got you know. It's I a, pray it, that you do it soon. It is a it is an incredibly flawed gem, but like I I, I love it to bits. I uh, love this, pray eat 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 pray love. Um, <laughs> I uh, I ended up um, I don't I don't know that there is such a thing as one hundred percenting this game, but I cleared out my objectives list except for the ones that conflicted with each other, and I um, mm. I got the achievements for reading every email and finding every person in the station. So like I played it really exhaustively. Um, and that was like, does that include the people that are like locked in the room? God, there are people locked in the room and I can't remember what the, what, what yeah, it did not. The, it did not like wh- those people. I read about this because I was curious. You, you, you can't unlock that room. It's just not a thing you can do. Um, that's apparently because they show up on the scans right or whatever um, on the map yeah so apparently like so first of all apparently it gives you the achievement for reading all the emails before you've read literally all the emails and it gives you the achievement for finding all the people before you've found literally all the people so like it's kind of forgiving uh and it okay it's, it's weird that they called the achievements that um yeah but uh yeah there are four people hiding in a closet in the IT the IT supply closet in the Talos lobby. Ah, yeah, that's what it was. And yeah, yeah, yeah. um the only way to get them is by first before Walter Do- if you, uh, this is okay, this is spoilers. I'm going to start talking about like the uh the end game of of uh Prey. Like in the the beginning of the third act of Prey uh is there's a um a an operative who is sent to uh the space station Telos to kill everybody on it um and shut down the the project and if you have killed everybody you met before triggering that guy's arrival then he will suggest that the two of you I'm I'm here to kill everyone but it seems like you're way ahead of me why don't we join forces and of course like if you do what he asks he betrays you in the end cuz he's supposed to kill you too um but apparently the only way to get to meet those four people is to agree to this quest, which um, has the which then like spawns those four people like somewhere else in the ship. And then you have to go kill them. So oh, weird. Wait, how do you know that they're there? If you they're, they uh, show up on the map that well, the there's a um, the security, the security like terminals in the game. Um, yeah, right. Have a listing of all of like all personnel with. And their location according to their tracking bracelets. So are they, but they're not like alive in there in the sense that you can't interact with them or? Uh, they they are, well, they're, 
like if you um if you um select one of them on the security console and then like walk up to the supply closet door you will see a little like um hovering text indicating that this person is here um is it moving around uh, no i don't think they move um I think they're like. Why I'm? I am surprised in Prey that there would be a door that just didn't open. That it's the only like one that, that I know of that uh, dogmatically that, not do. Yeah, that's the Maybe only it was door. Part of a quest that got cut or something. Well, it's like I think it's just there to house those four people for the uh, the quest that I was just talking about. Hopefully, like people have come back from the spoiler warning, and now I'm done talking about those spoilers, but. <laughs> We didn't actually give them, like, a time, that, so, like, sorry, guys. That thing that you spoiled seems fucking crazy. Like, that seems very surprising that you would... That that would be a quest the game gives you? Yeah. Also, I don't remember that happening. Well, did you kill everybody? Like, I didn't kill anybody. No, I mean, like, I'm, I, like, I don't remember the thing that you were talking about happening. Them sending someone to kill everyone? Yeah. yeah. I yeah, don't well, really like, remember it either, but it doesn't sound totally unfamiliar. Like... Uh, two thirds of the way through the game. Uh, spoilers again. Um, Sorry. <laughs> uh, like there's a a sort of a story beat where um, this guy shows up with a bunch of military operators, like the 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 operators being the like, the little floating robots that that help you out or attack you if you're corrupted. But the military operators are actually just there to literally kill everyone um i don't, I don't and so like from there from that point on like every until you deal with this guy every room is full of these fucking military operators uh it, it no. drastically i think i didn't deal with him because i just remember the entire back third of the game being every room was full of his fucking military operators. Uh, is there is there some jim do you know is there some way to prevent him from showing up because i don't remember this at all you can just I not, the station didn't fill up with military operators no. for you. You can't Weird. you can't finish the game without going through that part of the game. Um, Are you sure? You can, I, just you, don't, I don't remember there being a bunch of operators everywhere. Maybe you never finished the game. Like I, uh, when I say I um, read every email and I met every person, etc., and I did every objective, that was like all like right before like i know this doing this action is going to trigger this guy's arrival so i didn't do that and i just did all this other stuff instead and i spent like 20 hours um before like w when he was supposedly like in flight to the station uh huh. not triggering it and doing all this these other things instead so you can play a ton of the game uh without ever seeing him um but if you're following the plot, like, there's no way to avoid it. I wonder if they had the idea that one of the ways that you would play this game is just by going full Typhon and killing all of the people. Like, just yeah. as a play style. Yeah, I... D does that... D can you ever get Typhon enough that the other Typhons don't attack you? No, they always attack you. Um, it, it's... That's it's, a bummer. Yeah. It is kind of a bummer. Um... It is, like, it is strange. The, the game does have explicit support for going full, like, evil, kill everybody. Like, and and there are th things that happen if you do that. Um, or like, but there's, like, a, there's an achievement for, like, that? 
Yeah, that's the that's what I was gonna say. Is like I can't I can't think of a motivation for it, uh, except for like um, going like, back in if you knew what was up, right? Right. Like, if it's your second playthrough and you like know about like you're role playing the rogue version of the story, like, right? Yeah. yeah, but like at the game. What at is the, the encounter? Sorry, no, go ahead. Just the game as it's presented to you, I can't think of any reason, like, diegetically why you would go rogue and kill everyone. Um, but there it what is. What is the encounter with that, the the person, like, when you finally do encounter them? Um, that has all the military. So characters. you are, um, you're in an office. Um, the office, like, the blinds close so you can watch a, um, a looking glass movie. Um, uh, when the movie is over, the blind, like the blinds open and, um, well, before the blinds open, you get a call from this guy, uh, mm -hmm. telling you that like, or actually, I'm not sure if he talks to you, or if you get a call from somebody else telling you what's up, but like you get a, a, a phone call notifying you that like, oh, the station's under lockdown. Now this guy's going to try to kill you. Um, Oh, I know. I remember he calls you. He calls like the everybody on the station who's alive and notifies them that, I'm, that, I'm, that he's the rescue team uh, and, and to come cooperate with me and, and I'll, I'll bring you back home. Um, and then as soon as that call is over, the blinds open and four military operators break in through the glass and start shooting lasers at you. Huh. Interesting. Do you ever actually fight him? Yeah, you can. Um you can interact fairly significantly with him. Um, you can, um, uh, uh, this is massive spoilers again. Uh, you can, uh, remove his neuromods, which clears his memory of having the mission. And then he will p actually pilot the rescue shuttle home for everybody who's still alive. Huh. Um, oh, sorry, Riff. This is, <laughs> you, you can't shut your ears <laughs> for any of this. I, 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 I know pretty much all the plot just from osmosis anyway okay so. okay yeah um and you it doesn't make it any less fun yeah either. i would like, say this it's not yeah i don't think this would really impact anything uh and there is an interaction where um you can run into him when he is breaking into alex's safe room and you can either interrupt that or you can just watch that scene play out which ends with him killing alex God, I do not remember any of this. So yeah, I remember. Weird. I definitely had the. I remember the operators. I don't remember that guy. Yeah. Huh. It's really great that you're still getting. Are you playing on PC? No, I'm on PS4. I I should probably at some point if I'm going to play it again in another year or whatever, I should get the PC version because I am very curious what it feels like with mouse aim mouse aim um i think it would is gonna it would significantly change my tactics um and also the ps4 version has really long between uh between mm. zone load times like minute plus which is a bummer jesus huh uh, and I played a game called uh, Kuran and the Jelly Islands, which is uh, for phones. And I read about it on Bennett Foddy's Play These Mobile Phone Games blog. 
Uh, and it is a game where you, um, are a cat that is standing on an island made of jelly and you're trying to eat as much of the island as possible without falling into the water. (laughs) (laughs) And so, um, your only interface into this is you can't actually move the cat around, but what you can do is the cat has a straw that can telescope, I guess. And anywhere you drag your finger or maybe even hold your finger, you will eat jelly from that part of the screen. And so this is a, like the way this plays out is these are all, um, these, these islands are all modeled with soft body physics. So, um, you're doing a lot of like trying to manage the structural integrity of the thing you're standing on and making sure it doesn't tip over while you eat as much of it as possible. And it, oh, it's like side view. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, a really like, this is something that, that Bennett talked about on that, on that blog, but um, uh the the distinction between a puzzle game as like uh puzzles having very um discrete state versus puzzles that are very sloppy and loose and like you're you when you even if you do well at this game you know that you maybe you probably could have done like just slightly better just by just managing exactly what you managing your your finger swipes just slightly better um in the opening that, cutscene, one of the things the cat says is i hope i have something food <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> the localization is kind of dodgy it's part part of the charm yeah this game i i was trying to figure out based on your description why bennett would like this but seeing it this looks like trash this uh-huh. is like if it is at all interesting gameplay wise and looks like the, like the, this it's like a mess it feels like it's running at a non-native resolution on my phone uh-huh. yeah i didn't talk about the aesthetic at all but it is choice <laughs> yeah boy wow what a weird thing oh i've done it i've eaten the island now this, this so, seems pretty fun jim cool <laughs> i'm glad you liked it anything else i guess that's about the size of it what have you been playing, Riff? Um, I played a couple of pretty funny web games. Um, I I don't remember their names off the top of my head, but both of them are on the site beepboopbitcoin.com. Are you guys familiar with this? No. I thought that was just a game on that site. Yeah, isn't that? It's, I thought that was like it's a two games on that site. Bitcoin oh, okay. simulator thing, right? Yeah, there's, there's like Bitcoin mining simulator, and and then the second one is Bitcoin something something Gaiden. And okay. uh, it's like I the, don't remember the the the, the first one. They're they're both like like very funny, um, like satire, like harsh criticisms and takedowns of Bitcoin, uh, with the like it starts out as though it's going to be like a clicker or or idle inter- incremental type game but it uh after a bit changes into something else or in the case of Gaiden it changes into several different things sequentially and uh, which it would be a spoiler to go into detail about but they're both 
pretty good and they're they're quick games like the first one is like about a half an hour and Gaiden is two to four hours depending on how quickly you figure out what to do in each section uh, but yeah if you were if you are up for some some withering uh, uh, commentary on the nature of Bitcoin that's a good thing to look at um, that's pretty much it, except I play, I started playing the, uh, I've forgotten if I've already talked about this. I started playing the, uh, the new iOS, uh, HD release of the first Professor Layton game. Uh, which yeah, looks super I've seen good people talking about that. Did that just come out on yeah. iOS? Yeah, it, it like just came out. How are you finding the puzzles? I don't. I remember enjoying it back in its time, but I don't remember any I, specifics. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> like the. I kind of remembered them being good, and it turns out they're not quite as good as I remember. <laughs> it, it there's a lot more, like a lot more stuff than I remembered. That rather than calling them puzzles, I would call them trick questions. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like it got a lot better about that as the series went on. But uh, yeah, in this first one, there's there's kind of a a disheartening proportion of of like way more things that you just have to have the insight to get rather than things that you actually figure out. Yeah, is this uh, Professor Layton in the Curious Village? Yep. That's the one. Yeah, that's on Android as well. That's ten bucks. That's brave of them. Yeah, it's it's a super nice uh, translation though on, on yeah this yeah big iPad screen. I, it, I totally, it looks really gorgeous. I totally believe that it's worth ten dollars. It's just like yeah, it's very surprised is there. This, they, is Professor Layton made by like a second party Nintendo company or is it? Uh, it's made by Level Five. Card. I don't yeah. know what. Yeah, I don't know what their relationship is. Yeah, pretty much the only the only thing that didn't translate well is the the memo mode that that lets you you know draw with your finger or stylus onto the screen over top of the puzzle. Uh, the lines that it produces are super low resolution, so it's hmm. it's not super good for like if you want to write something down or do math. But you know, if all you want to do is trace a maze, it's fine. Oh, weird! Level five made the Dark Cloud games. What is, what oh, yeah, yeah. And Nino Cooney, isn't that a thing that you... I think, yeah, that makes sense. I haven't played it. I, I remember I bought a copy of it, but I never got around to it. Oh, one thing What's I wanted to... What's the trickest question? <laughs> I want to know this, too. Wait, what? Riff. What's the trickest question? What's the what question? The trickest <laughs> question. The trickest question? Yes, they were all it's trick no questions. Wonder I didn't understand you saying you, that because that's oh, not a come thing on. a person says. Riff, Riff, we <laughs> do, you and I do wordplay together for a living. <laughs> Although not Are with this irritating what, phone delay. That's true. Uh, uh, yeah. You're asking you what the trickiest question in Professor Layton is? Yes. Um, I don't, I, I can't remember a specific inter uh, interest. I can't, I can't remember a specific example. Um, 
Riff, this bit oh, sucks. Yeah, I'm well, sorry. Trick, <laughs> trick, trick or treat, trickest treat. Yeah, what's the treatest Williams? With the, the t- <laughs> so I wanted to talk about, uh, I forgot to mention this, in Prey, um, so when I first played Prey, uh, I had noticed a bunch of NPCs named after Sean Elliott's friends, basically. And the reason I know Sean Elliott's friends' names is that I spent years listening to podcasts he was on when he worked at 1UP. Um, but there's just a, a a whole bunch of people named after people that he would occasionally, like, either work with or talk about. Um, and I didn't really get the significance of this until I realized on this playthrough that they're all in the neuromod level, uh, which means that probably that was his level. That was the the one he was a level designer on. So I thought that was an interesting connection to have made. Not that it means anything to most people, but um, just like that minor bit of detective work I thought was fun. That's cool. Details there for a sleuthing mind to discover. Yeah, and I, I actually bet that, like, someone who... Well, whereas, for for example, I know he was also a level designer on Bioshock Infinite, and I couldn't tell you... Although, my God, geez, maybe I could if I replayed it. I couldn't tell you which one he worked on. Uh, and that might be the case of, like, oh, maybe level designers didn't own a level in that game. Um or it, it or maybe might... every every NPC name had to be run through Ken Levine, right? <laughs> yeah, to make sure it was in fiction. Every NPC I, it would honestly not surprise me if they anagram of Ken Levine. Yeah. If they weren't allowed, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was just like a blanket policy of like no Easter egg names in Bioshock games. Sure, they don't yeah. feel. They don't well, feel don't, like don't you're not going to just see like a list of townsfolk, you know? Right, right. But also, like, I don't know that in so in, in prey, like everybody has a name because there are a finite. There are like 250 something people on the station, whereas in in Bioshock Infinite, I don't think anybody but like like a dozen major characters are ever named. So yeah, I guess that's true. Are there 256 people on the station? That no, seems it's, like a it's, good thing. Yeah, that would be a Ow. that would be a good number for a computer simulation. Um, but no, I, I think it's I think it's slightly more than that. Or 255. They re- you know it's like one for each rupee that Link can hold. Right, right, and then they leave the the zero value for if you're trying to address the null person. Uh huh. Jeff Null. <laughs> right. Dev Patel. Or the Justin, whoever from Nullsoft, who made Winamp. Justin, Justin Frankel, Frank. yeah. Yeah. I I did not realize uh, that Justin Frankel went on to form Kakos. Oh, yeah. And then make the program Reaper, which is what I use to edit every single episode of this podcast. Like, I yep. had no idea that that, that was that's, the Winamp. That's... That was the legacy of Winamp. Yeah, yeah. He's, his company got bought by AOL. He made uh, Nutella while he was at AOL, and then I think they forced him. Well, either they like made him stop, or they fired him, or something like that. Um, 
fired him for making Nutella on the job. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> like I, I, this whole office smells awful. <laughs> what are you doing, Nutella? The um, the uh, file sharing program is so clear. Repurposed oh, the repurposed the the okay. CD pressing machines to press hazelnuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that, that's what I would do if I got hired at any tech company. Um, <laughs> just start putting hazelnuts in there. Just put hazelnuts in this shit to see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great! You guys have a hazelnut pressing machine. Wait, what? <laughs> the, dude, that's a that's the old fax machine that was from when this was a furniture store. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think it's like if I. That's probably the thing you have to do if you're like a a programmer who suddenly makes a hundred million dollars. Like, the only way, I think, to not go crazy is to just, like, keep working on stuff, even if you don't need the money. Oh, I thought you were going to say to, like, explicitly, like, the only way to be right with Jesus was then to explicitly make some, like, anti-establishment copyright violation engine. Well, I think, I think like, there's some element of that, too. But, like, no, I'm talking about Reaper now. Oh, okay. I am. Um, I listened to an interview with him on. Like, I skip almost every episode of this podcast. I, I cherry picked the archive for the stuff that I was like explicitly interested in. Um, but it's the the Internet History podcast. Every once in a while, there will be something really good on it. It's largely just like, here's the business person from Yahoo to tell us the history of Yahoo as a business. And I was like, God, I don't fucking care about any of that. Like. But every once in a while, there'll just be something like, here's an interview with Justin Frankel. And, and we, like, it's just like talking to him about like his whole arc. He grew up in Sedona. I always forget that. Like, we knew when we first started using Winamp, we were like, we should go, we should see if we can just fly up there and buy him a beer to register Winamp. We never <laughs> did it. Also, the idea of like flying in a tiny plane up there and then having a beer. You would have to fly to Sedona? I think. Like you that? could drive, but we were at an air, we were at a flight school <laughs> when oh. we were using Winamp. And so like the, <laughs> by far the fastest way to get to Sedona was to go down the hall, rent a plane and fly it to Sedona just then. Um, <laughs> but we never, we never did it. Uh, what have you been playing, Kevom? Um, uh, I mentioned that I had played through the rogue puzzles, uh, which is, uh, it was like a, Mighty Mystery Hunt puzzle that um, my friend Colin turned into uh, an iOS app. Um, you were the only person to have beaten it so far. I guess. Well, I'm, I'm the first person to let him know that I beat it, unless maybe he has tracking enabled. So maybe I was the You're first person. Fucking madman! Those like I could not get past the second batch of like I couldn't get far enough into the second batch of puzzles to unlock the third batch. Oh wow! You're so fucking hard. You you've just got a you've got a Soko Bond mind. You've I, got a I guess so. You've got see this is why you're the perfect audience for Alan Hazelden games. Oh, yeah. The games that Alan Hazelden makes floating in a sensory deprivation tank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Unaware of anyone or anything else. <laughs> he locks himself alone in a room. Yeah. He writes his own operating system. <laughs> builds his own hardware so that he can <laughs> test. <laughs> um uh, and then I uh, I played It'll Do 2 because uh, it had been sitting around forever and was I was looking for something like simple to, to distract. It is weird. I don't remember. 
My memories of the first game were that there were some a bunch of really clever, tightly designed puzzles. Uh, and my recent experiences with It'll Do 2 are it's a game with very light puzzle action and mostly just sort of like a Zelda-style action arcade game. I mean, I think that was overall what people's impressions were of the sequel is that it was more of a Zelda like arena combat kind of yeah it was just it was such a it seemed like such a weird pivot because I the puzzles were what I thought were really stood out in it'll do but maybe it'll do was like right up your alley yeah like and this was just not like I don't know it the the puzzling was was not compelling enough and the the hardest bits were just sort of weird interactions of the tools that they gave you that weren't made ever made explicit. Um, the puzzles themselves weren't hard. It was just like figuring out, oh, if I bounce this thing off of something and then shoot the projectile I just made, it'll change into a different thing, which will do something new or whatever. Um, so yeah, uh, can't can't really recommend it uh, that much. Um, and then another game that I had fond memories of from from my my youth, I guess college, just like the first couple of years of college, were the Crash Bandicoot games. Um, and so they like did a remastered version of them for the Switch, and I was like, oh, I'll I'll pick that up and see what see how that holds up. And I do not like it at all. Uh, it is a kind of like an endless runner except it's not endless it's like a design like short design levels um but you're you're often sort of moving forward it's like you and the camera moving forward through a a very linear path and you're jumping over um deep holes and you're trying to collect boxes and stuff like that and avoid enemies but you don't have enough depth information to reliably avoid hitting holes or enemies it's and it just it feels awful it is just terrible and i don't i don't understand why like, you liked it so much why, yeah why did i like this maybe i maybe i didn't play the first game maybe i played like a, a game later in the series that i didn't realize was like a sequel or something and uh and maybe it gets better but it, yeah i like this is just making me like it just makes me angry and annoyed it's yeah i'm not impressed with the crash bandicoot series in general i feel like that's like the the least imaginative and least playable way to make a of any of the successful 3d platformers to make a platformer 3d um yeah that said like they i my understanding is that this remake um isn't like an emulation they actually no, it's it's a it's a whole it's a rebuilt from the ground up right and and, and so it may be possible that what you liked about uh the game was the way the character controller felt and that they didn't oh. they didn't make they didn't make it work in the uh in the the redo or maybe it was just it was just like the the blockiness of it was better, and now that it's all like really smooth textures and pretty stuff, it like has lost all of its charm. Or yeah, something. it could be. Or maybe I think it's also possible that I just played like the second or third game in the series in college, didn't realize that it was a sequel, or didn't care that it was a sequel because normally I I won't play something if I haven't played the earlier versions of it. Uh, what like that? I'm, that... Just, I'm just sort of the 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 crash remake 
trilogy has like the first three games in it. I played. It does, yeah. Yeah, I played all three of them, and they felt largely similar to me. Oh, did they? Okay. Did you play all the way through all of them? Oh, no. God, no. I played, like, the first world of each <laughs> of them, maybe. Okay. Um, yeah, it was just disappointing. I was, I was, I, I, you know, that's one of those nostalgia things that just didn't really uh, bear out. I kind of want to go back and play uh, Psychonauts again at some point um, and see if that holds up. It's so charming that you overlook... Yeah, yeah I feel like yeah. I've played that fairly recently, and it holds up okay. It's, yeah, like the the it, parts. I, I feel that... like I I felt like it was as good as I felt the j- running jumping parts of it were when I played it at the time. Yeah, I, I think that's probably that sentence makes sense. accurate. That like it, the parts that were bad about that game were clearly bad at the time, and so. Right. Your memory and of also, it is probably wasn't accurate. like ten years after Crash Bandicoot. Probably, yeah, yeah. So uh, something like that. The, the yeah, fact that you can't control the camera. I am constantly moving the camera control stick while playing Crash, mm. and nothing is happening. But I still do it. Just, just to give you any any like, hope of depth perception. It, yeah, <laughs> it's very it's very frustrating. It was kind of funny that they put it as an Easter. Well, not. I don't remember if it's like an Easter egg or if it's something that you necessarily encounter and are given the option to interact with it more. But it, like, I think most, if not all, of Crash Bandicoot is playable in the fourth um, uh, 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 Nathan Drake game. Yeah, yeah. In one, in so uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know about the entire game, but there is a plot point where you play. Uh, with your yeah, wife, it I turns think. Out like one... his wife is into the game. Yeah. And right, so right. Nathan Drake tries to play it to beat her score. And it's just you playing Crash Bandicoot while for, yeah. these two characters make make fun of the action. Yeah, yeah. You only play for a level, but it wouldn't surprise me if like the rest of it's unlockable somewhere. Yeah. So, uh, so I don't know if you guys know that the uh, there's like um, Assassin's Creed odyssey or whatever is playable in the chrome browser as like a (laughs) streaming game okay Um, weird uh and so what what i was what what made me laugh about this was the notion that in unreal you can just set up a chrome chromium browser as a texture so at this point it would be totally possible to make an unreal game where you just looked at a texture and played all of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Wow. Inside Whoa. another game. <laughs> so you could just have like you could have a game system in some other Unreal Engine game and just play that. Uh yeah, that's which the future leads of you to the possibility that you could have a copy of Assassin's Creed Odyssey inside Assassin's Creed Odyssey or Right, something. right. That that's the future play, of games that. preservation if like the if the, the the console manufacturers get their ways. There'll be like a subscription service where you can, uh, instead of like the console itself being backwards compatible, you put in a disc and then it boots up that disc on a, a server somewhere and you play a mm. streaming version. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently it's, it's pretty good. Uh, like you still have to have, you know, pretty reasonable bandwidth or whatever, but you can, 
just because they're pushing so much video, but the, apparently the latency is not a big deal. And it just runs well. I I also have to and say you, that like the, the name Assassin's Creed Odyssey, seeing the word Odyssey as like a someone who really liked Mario Odyssey, I like I, I'm hoping to like I'm always on the lookout for more Mario Odyssey discourse, and it is just like a I thought you were going to say you were hoping to be able to play it minefield out Magnavox there. Magnavox Odyssey. Oh yeah, I would love that. If you can run Chrome on a Magnavox Odyssey, you can. <laughs> right. Yeah. You can play this. Yeah, I, I think the Odyssey was the system that it didn't actually have cartridges, <laughs> so that it it doesn't even have uh, it's not even programmable. So that might be a a tough ask. Well, I mean, it's programmable if you have like a ROM a prom burner, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's my that was my favorite prom, prom burner. <laughs> Yeah, we're having a burner prom. Everybody's just naked and on acid and <laughs> walking on and breaking up with stilts. each other. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking of the end of Carrie. Yeah, there's that too. <laughs> our bar, our barn dance theme is barn burner. Our e prom is matrix theme. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, shall we talk about our assignment, Ori and the Blind Forest? I think we'd better. Uh, they should have called this Ori and the Colorblind Forest because I was fully unable to play it because I could never, like, I was just constantly unable to tell why I had gotten killed. And it was, once I looked closely enough, it was because there were spikes I couldn't really see against the background. And yeah, I couldn't see the bullets. I, like, there were... I learned later from paying a lot more attention than I would normally pay that there were enemies that fired a lot of bullets at you that I just couldn't see. Uh, so I was, I didn't, I got 15 minutes into it. And oh, wow. Yeah, just, I, I, I feel like, like this is too, this is too hard for no reason for me. So I, I really I, liked the play and, and how it looked. Uh, well, yeah, and that's the problem, I think, is that they don't match. Um, this game looks really lush, like everything is very, like, visually over-designed, or if you like that sort of thing, designed just well enough. Um, but also the gameplay is trying to be, like, a Super Meat Boy type thing. Um, yeah. But you... It feels like N+, plus, but, like, yeah, it doesn't have the N+, plus is actually a even better example, because it's... So, de like, N-plus is so dependent on being able to read the play field instantly. And you just can't do that when there are all these fucking leaves everywhere. Um, I, I do think that this, like, this game suffers from that a lot. I didn't, I, I didn't find it that difficult to read anything. But I don't have the same sort of foreground, background problems that Zach typically does with games. Um, I also was real bummed out by the intro, how it was like, kind of, it was interactive enough that they won't let you skip it, yeah. but fuck was it long and it was slow. A long, yeah, it was that, a long intro. that it was really, the, the like every time the story happened in this game, I was just like, this is incredibly dull. The, Although uh, I, I do think I you could skip the later cutscenes though, so there's that. Oh, that's fine. I liked... The, I liked sort of all the power-ups and the 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 like Metroidvania-ish nature of things, where you 
increase your mobility through being able to like bounce off of other projectiles and enemies in the air and stuff like that. Um, I got a, I got a power up that said it let me shoot three fireballs, but I didn't know how to shoot three fireballs. You click the mouse, I think. No, I mean, I knew how to shoot the little energy things, but then I, one of the skill ups was like, you can shoot three energy fireballs. Oh, you can, you can get, um, power ups for, for skills you don't have yet. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> so there, there were, I often had like power ups for stuff I didn't get until much later. Um, if only there was some way to avoid that, like, by graying them out. But they're all in a, a line. And that can't change. Uh, just saying. Huh, okay. It's, well, it's, it was fine. Was it, it was though? Fine. Was it? Um, I, I never, I never got any power-ups that I couldn't use because I didn't have the required skills. Just, just putting that Is out Is that because there. you quit before you got any power-ups? Um... No, but I did quit before I got many, so like I might have fucked it up later if I had kept playing. Um, at the end of each of the like three main branches, uh, it does that sort of classic thing where the whole game mode changes, and you're like being chased by a giant monster, or you're having to get out of this thing before it fills with lava, or whatever. And it's it every single time it resets you to the beginning. And they're very long and oh, very bummer. hard, and that and there's a ton of arbitrary shit that happens in there that like you have no control over, and it's the, those were incredibly frustrating. Um, yeah, yeah, that that, that, that was super. That sounds like classic like platformer boss fight design to me. Not and yeah, I, I mean that in the bad way. Just saying. Yeah. Um. I don't, I don't know I don't know what to tell people cuz like you I guess people want cinematic giant conflicts or whatever but like I mean nobody wants bad checkpointing yeah. nobody nobody has ever complained that the checkpointing of a video game was too, too generous. generous How did like Trine work? I remember Trine being kind of like that. Like there were definitely sections of Trine where it suddenly was like ah fuck. There's time pressure that there didn't used to be. Yeah. But I don't remember what the checkpointing was like during those sections. I don't either. What, what is it? It's like you want people to be able to execute a sequence of moves, and that's the challenge and the fun of it. But why do you want them to do uh, this sequence of moves and then 10 other sequences of moves before you can like checkpoint it or whatever? It's the whole, like, saving is just weird in general, right? Like, you have to, like, spend a resource to create a respawn point, uh, which, yeah. I mean, the that's kind of neat. Come back super quickly. That's kind of neat, but, like, it's weird that yeah, it's, if you forget to you forget, save, you, you can just, just like, fuck yourself real bad. You can yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a danger. Like, I think you have to, in order to play this game, I think you have to get into, like, a classical FPS quick save all the time mode. Yeah. It's and it, especially by late game, your energy is not really a concern. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. You got a, a ton of energy balls. It was it was weird. It felt like there was a d just glacially paced cutscene in the beginning, and then there was five mechanics introduced that all had nearly identical names that were not adequately explained what they were for or what they did. And yeah. it was like, huh, okay. 
It's not how I would have distributed that time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't make pretty games. So what do I know? I, I really enjoyed it overall, except for the, like, boss fights or whatever. So. Yeah, I, like, it felt like I, man, I am a sucker for the, like, weird indirect projectile path thing that it does. Like, I love the way that looks when you're shooting at stuff. Like, the, like, if you press a button to shoot at something and it fires the projectile in a random direction and then kind of swarms towards the thing you're shooting, I'm going to look at that and think, I like that and how it looks. <laughs> so I did like shooting at stuff in this. It's just that it was shooting at me and I couldn't see its bullets because they're like purple on purple. You don't like you don't like purple on purple? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I like it or not. I can't see it. <laughs> did you check to see if there was like a color? I did, and there was not. I and then I let, went into the discussion forums and there were some people saying hey what if there was a colorblind mode and then no replies mm. and also it was very difficult to search for ori in the blind forest colorblind because blind was always there <laughs> right <laughs> um. ori in the colorblind forest mm -hmm. that would be the name of my review be like, this is not a very good review because I only got to play like 15 minutes of the game because it was too hard because of my dumb, broken eyes. <laughs> Maybe you can um, replay it when you get one of those, uh, the one of those glasses, pairs of glasses that help colorblind people differentiate between the the colors they can't differentiate between. Yeah, I let Jeff Gersman be the guinea pig for that, and he didn't seem to care. Oh, maybe he just. It turns out he doesn't care about color because he's never seen it his entire life. Mm, okay, that could be it. Hey, so our next assignment is Wander Song. I have already played the first like level or two of it, and I think it's fucking great. It's a real, it's a real person's video game. We saw it at by people uh, South by Pax. Southwest. Pax. Pax. It was in. It was also at South by Southwest, but they were next to us in the Pax Ten, mm. yeah. and they were real sweethearts. And I don't remember. Like now, I've become obsessed with this idea that you can figure out how a game sold on Steam by looking at the number of reviews and multiplying it by fifty, and <laughs> that that's like it's true for West of Loathing. So. And, like, you know, that's not a thing. It's just, like, in general, I guess, maybe one out of every 50 people who buys your game on Steam will leave a review. And so you can kind of at least, like, estimate an order of magnitude. And it it was kind of sad. But also, I feel like something that has, like, less than a couple hundred reviews, that probably doesn't hold with a data set that small. But who knows? It, I mean, we... I, I remember asking people to review the game early on, and that helped a lot. Yeah. Um, Help Steam know you're legit. I saw James Kochalka tweeting about playing uh, Wander Song, and I was like, that makes me real happy. That is a good fit. Who's playing it on the old Nintendo Switch. The old Nintendo Swatch. <laughs> the old Nintendo Swatch. That's what I call the Nintendo Switch, because we're like buddies. Um, how do y'all feel about how do y'all feel about Wander Wander Song? Excited? I, I don't know what it is oh. yet. 
Yeah, it's I don't know anything so about it. Cute. It's so cute. You jump around and it's got dance. It's you can do goofy dances while you walk around. Question. All right, yes. into it so far. Uh, ghosts and goblins. Is it a roguelike? No. No. <laughs> uh, is can you beat it, or does it always just send you back to the beginning? You have to uh, kill the end boss with a particular weapon to yeah. have beaten it. Right. I, I, I think, think if you do that the first time, you win. Maybe you always have to do it twice, but maybe the sh- think, maybe you can't get that weapon until the second playthrough. Yeah, I think you can't get the weapon until your second playthrough. So the first time you have to beat him with the shield. And I think the second time you have to beat him with the shield. I think you can't get the shield the first time through. Maybe that's not true. Hmm. Okay. You're making me want to listen to the music from Ghosts and Goblins. Yeah. I'm just thinking about Super Ghouls and Ghosts, because that's the one I played. Hmm. Ghouls I'm and Ghosts. I'm just thinking about soup. So pretty. <laughs> soup or Ghouls and Ghosts. Um, well, we should let Riff go have some soup. Yeah. I should go have it's, some ghouls. It's soup time. You and Jim should go have some ghost. <laughs> Sounds you and good. Jim should go watch Ghost. Okay. Uh, it's never too early to introduce your child to Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Well, it's now too late to introduce your child to Patrick Swayze in a really meaningful way, but I mean the movies, the film oeuvre of Patrick Swayze. I recommend starting with Roadhouse uh, because that's the most vulgar, so then nothing else that your child sees Patrick Swayze say or do will shock him until Donnie Darko, which <laughs> maybe wait until he's a little older for that. Patrick Swayze Gentlemen, I've had a fantastic Darko? time. Yeah. He has a big I mean, role, actually. Maybe I, yep. should watch, maybe I should watch that movie again. Yeah, you, it's a why, time travel. Why haven't you seen you, it fifty times? Watch it again. Why didn't I, you watch it fifty times when it came out? Uh, probably because it had practiced Patrick Swayze in it. Now you're like, oh, I hate Patrick Swayze. I won't watch anything with him in it. It has one of the best lines of all time. That tell your mom everything is going to be okay. It has several of the best lines. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's the best line in you? It's uh, it's the feces thing. Oh, but yeah, yeah. What what are feces? Baby mice, <laughs> or when they're smoking cigarettes out in the junk in the junkyard, and one of them says, "Ah, that's good shit," and yeah. then Jake Gyllenhaal says, "It's a fucking, fucking cigarette." cigarette. <laughs> like that was a pretty, darting, that was a pretty good your commitment to sparkle motion. So many good lines, yeah. So, so many good, good lines from uh, what turned out to just be a and total fucking accident. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, I did have a lot of fun watching Donnie Darko over and over and over again in the year 2000. Uh, but the thing that I've had fun with more recently, Donnie Darko was almost 20 fucking years ago. Jesus. <laughs> uh, the thing that I've had more fun doing recently is recording episode number 346 of Video Games Hot Dog with you fine fellas. And I hope we do it, it again. turns out we recorded real, real it 20 soon. years ago. <laughs> Fuck. By accident. <laughs> podcast chillers <laughs> all right well listeners i hope you'll join us and if if, if it's not too spooky for you cockaboo balaya good night have a have a great good night, night everybody <laughs>